I'd uh, like, before I get going on the message, um, I would like to highlight one of the announcements you see in your bulletin that's about a recovery ministry for men in our church. It's a ministry called 180, and it's devoted to help men who are consistently struggling with not having victory over some form of sexual temptation in their lives. We know that can take many forms. And the details of the 180 ministry are spelled out in your bulletin there. But here are three important things I want you to know. First of all, the 180 ministry is a professional ministry. This is a ministry that was developed by Pastor John Doyle, who himself is a recovered addict in this arena. And he developed this program as part of his recovery. And, uh, and he, he brings uh, to these meetings each week, gentlemen, will be a video presentation from Pastor John. And then what will follow will be a guided discussion amongst yourselves. So this is a professional program. We're not simply saying, let's just get together and pray about it. Uh, you will do that, of course, but it's a professional program. Secondly, gentlemen, if you're thinking about this, this is a confidential ministry. 180 is a confidential ministry. What happens in 180 will stay in 180. Um, and even the names of the men who are brave enough to come to 180 to tackle this problem in their lives, I will not even know those names. You know, there's so much guilt and so much shame attached to this issue in a man's life that I want to just give you space. I'm, I'd be so proud of you for coming, um, but I just think it'd be helpful if I don't even know who you are so you don't feel weird, okay? I mean, if at some point you want to come and tell me, that's really up to you, but I'm not asking for a report about who's there, or I'd just be so proud of you that you came to, to take that on. Uh, but I want you to know this, gentlemen, that even though I won't know your specific names, I'll be praying for you that God comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and gives you victory in this area, okay? And then the third, maybe the most important detail of all, is that it starts this Thursday at 7 o'clock here at the Vineyard. So if that's an area of brokenness or consistent defeat in your life, then I strongly urge you to be present, okay? Okay. In Mark chapter 8, 36, Jesus asked this question. He said, what good is it if a man should gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? That's a great question, isn't it? What good would it be if a person worked in their life and they gained the whole world, but at the end of the day, worse yet, at the end of their life, they lost their soul? You know, so much of our society is devoted to helping us with gaining the world. There's lots that we can learn about treating ourselves, taking care of ourselves physically, taking care of ourselves emotionally, relationally, financially. I mean, there's just lots of counsel about how to, how to take care of ourselves, you know, in the things of the world. But Jesus' question is, so what if you did that? What if you did that and you succeeded at all of it? But you lost your soul. You lost the eternal part of yourself. 
That's a great question, isn't it? So, this morning, uh, I'm starting a series that Pastor Rob and I will be sharing in through the summer. It's a, it's a series called Soul Care. What about caring for our souls? What about caring for that part of us that longs for God? What about taking, treating ourselves well spiritually as well as every other way? I think in this series through the summer, it's really intended to help three kinds of people. It's, it's intended to help those of you who are ready to begin a relationship with God. Some of you realize, I'm ready. I've been circling this thing for a while. I am ready. The time has come for me to enter into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and to start this thing. Let's, let's get it going. This series will be helpful to you. It's also going to be helpful for those of you who would like to restart your relationship with God because, according to your assessment, perhaps, it's kind of grown cold. It used to be better. You might be a person who just says that. You know, it used to be better. I'm just in a low season right now. And so this series and the, the teachings that we'll bring this summer will be helpful for you to restart it. And then it's also going to be helpful, I think, to those of you who are walking well with the Lord, but you want to deepen your faith. You want to deepen your experience with God. Have you noticed this, that the longer you walk with God, the, the more you realize you don't have Him and the more you want of Him? Does anybody know this? That you walk with Him and you think, you're okay, well, this is going to be the thing. And what it does, it just opens up a whole new thing. And you just want more. You just want more, right? Well, I think you're going to find this series helpful. And what Rob and I are going to do is each week we're going to bring a topic from the Bible, a topic that we believe will contribute to the care of your soul. And it's really, really intended to do one thing. It's intended to extend the borders of God's grace into your life. You got it? So you know how God's grace comes and then it seems like there's sort of a limit to it. Well, this series is intended to show you how you can push the borders back so you can experience and be blessed with more of God's grace. You into it? That's what we're going to do. You might as well say yes, right? Let's pray. Lord, we invite you to come at the outset of this series and show us how to know you better, know you more, experience you more deeply, be better reflections of your glory on the earth, be better witnesses of your grace and power on the earth, be wider vessels of what it is that you want to pour into us and into the earth. And so I invite you to come. I do care about these people, Lord. I love them. You know that. And I just pray that this summer will just get bigger for them. Just summer will just find more room for your power and grace and strength in their lives. And so we invite you to come and, and to be the actual teacher, whether... You're using my words or Rob's words. We just invite you to come and, and to be the actual teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're going to start talking about soul care. By, by thinking about the fact that we live in a really complicated world, don't we? We live in a complex world. Things are getting more complicated every day. 
I mean, I just think about how much more complicated it is to be a teenager today than when I was a teenager. We had like three things in mind when we were teenagers, and now you guys got like 30 things in mind to deal with. It's more complicated. It's more complicated for all of us. Technology has, in a lot of ways, brought some pretty cool stuff, but it's also complicated our lives, right? And you guys ever try to work on a car, right? That's not what it used to be, right? Man, what did they put the fuel pump in the gas tank for? Whose stupid idea was this, right? That's complicated. Come on, we used to be able to two bolts, yank it up, put the thing on, blah, 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 off you go. It's complicated. Passwords. What's it with the passwords, hello? How many passwords do you have, you think? You got a lot of passwords because God forbid you should use the same password for two things, right? That's going to be the end of civilization as we know it. I have 37 different passwords. I have them on a document in my laptop that itself is password protected. Anybody know what I mean? I got an email on Friday from my antivirus company that said that my email address has been compromised. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean compromised? It's tom at gcvineyard.org. How hard can that be? And they said I needed to probably change all my passwords. Why do I need to change all my passwords? But they said they can help. They said they have an app. Oh, no. That I can just remember one password and put in all my other passwords. That sounds suspicious to me at, on the surface, yeah? I want to give you all my passwords? Holy mackerel. It's complicated. Hello? It's really complicated. Smartphones just make me feel dumb. We live in a complicated world, and so it creates a problem in our walk with God. Ask me why. Because we're created simple. Because we're simple. And the more complex our environment becomes, the more difficult it is to connect with God. We're making choices every day. There's an Old Testament book called the Book of Ecclesiastes. There are three verses in it I really like. The first one is Ecclesiastes 4.12 that says, Two are better than one, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I love that. This is two are better than one, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If you've ever braided together three strands, you know how strong that can be, right? And this is a great example for our marriages, people. It's two are better than one. It's great that we're married. It's great that Karen and I are married. But our strength is not in each other. Our strength is in the third strand, who is the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. It's God living as the master of our marriage and, and, and braiding us together. That's a great verse. Also like Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, where it says that, that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That God put something inside of us called eternity. It's in our hearts. We can't hardly stop thinking about it, can we? I mean, it just plagues us, the thought of eternity, doesn't it? We want to make sure we're getting this right. Who knows what I'm talking about? And it's not just about the here and now, but it's about eternity, right? And, and the Bible says that God put this in the hearts of men, that it's something that, crea- that separates us from the rest of the created order. I've noticed that my dog, Pilot, doesn't seem to worry about matters of eternity at all. He's not at church today. He's flopped out on his pad wondering when we're going to get home. We got four chickens out in the hen house. They're not having a prayer meeting. They don't care. 
But God, the Bible says, has set eternity in the hearts of men. We're going to live forever somewhere. Ecclesiastes 7, 29, I like the way the Jerusalem Bible says that for our purposes today. It says, God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. (laughs) God made us simple, and then we effectively screw it up, right? We effectively complicate it. Hmm. God made man simple. So if we want to if we want to experience God, if we want to take care of our soul, we have to practice something called simplicity. We have to intentionally practice a thing called simplicity. Because God made us simple, and so it's only in simplicity that we're going to connect with God who made us simple. In simplicity, without complexity, without the complexity of the religious scheme, just the simplicity of relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit, in, the, in simplicity, we find God because we're restored to our place in the created order. What? So anybody get to Genesis yet? It's the first book. Come on, you guys going to start reading it or what? Genesis, okay. So God, God creates Adam and Eve, and they have a wonderful relationship. God shows up in the evening, walks, they have a wonderful relationship. Is it a complicated relationship? It's a simple relationship. Why? Because the Bible says God made man simple. We're simple. And it's a simple, wonderful relationship until Satan comes, right? And Satan comes in and introduces sin, and it breaks the relationship between God and mankind. It breaks the relationship. And so that if you read that, you'll see that that mankind, not only is the daily fellowship broken, but that man is put outside of the garden. So what was meant to be an idyllic life with relationship with God is broken by sin. Now, enter Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross and his blood speaking a better word than the blood of Abel, it says, and his blood doing a work to bring us righteousness, a new kind of righteousness. We are restored to God through Christ. And we are restored for eternity but we are also restored into the potential of the, our place in the created order so that we can have dominion, so that we can have a variety of things. But we can also have simple fellowship with God again. The experience of God, the knowledge of God, the, the, con, the contact with God is part of the salvation experience because we're restored to our place in the created order. God made man simple. We were created simple. And as a result, our best relationship is going to happen in the context of simplicity with him. Have you noticed the way God makes things simple and then we fully complicated it? God gave ten commandments and the Pharisees blew that up into 613 laws. Exactly. But that's what we do. God comes in a simple move in a church, and we franchise it, right? Come on. It's about simplicity and getting to a place of simplicity. Because simplicity defines the very nature of our relationship with God. Now, by contrast, 
the complexity of the world in which we live, and it's a complicated place now, the complexity of it is sucking the life out of your spiritual life. It is just sucking the air right out of your spiritual life. Why? Because you're living a very unfocused life, aren't you? So many things are calling for your attention. It's really hard to stay focused on the Lord, isn't it? And you notice when you can get yourself focused on the Lord, good things happen. You begin to experience the dynamic of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, but you have to fight to stay there, yeah? Because the world is constantly calling us to be thinking about the wrong things, constantly calling us to live an unfocused life. And what happens is it, the complexity of the world causes us to feel unfulfilled because we're never going to get to all those plates that we have in the air, are we? We're never going get to get to them. And so we have this lack of fulfillment. Why? Because we're made simple. We're made for one thing. We're made for relationship with God. God made man simple. So the answer to all this complexity that's sucking the air out of our relationship with God is what? Simplicity. Who said that? You may go. Well done. Please don't, but you may. It's simplicity. The answer to this is simplicity. This is the first, the first tool in your toolbox for the summer of how to experience God more is moving from complexity to simplicity. Somebody asked me, well, what is simplicity? Simplicity is a commitment to living an uncomplicated life. It's a simple definition, isn't it? (laughs) Simplicity is a commitment. It takes a commitment to living an uncomplicated life. It's rejecting the pull of the world to live a complicated, hurried, unfocused life. It's learning to say, no, thank you, you may go. (laughs) Simplicity is something that happens, that has to happen on the inside before we get too worried about it happening on the outside. It's an internal thing. It's an inside job. It's something that happens on the inside before we need to worry too much about it on the outside. Here's a mistake that I sometimes see people respond to a teaching like this. Simplicity, you're right, Tom. You were right. I was wrong. I'm going to straighten up and fly right. I'm going to go home and I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to to cut off these 19 relationships and I'm going to... And and so they they begin to try to order their external world simplify their external world, but they haven't become simplistic inside. And what that is, is something called legalism. That's called legalism. It's trying to order your outside world first. Jesus said what, goes, what comes out of a man's mouth is not what makes him unclean, but it, it's, it, no, what goes into a man's mouth is not what makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man's mouth, that's what makes him unclean. For out of the overflow of the heart, he said, the mouth speaks. Simplicity starts in the heart with a simplified, centered spirit. And then what happens on the outside will be the natural outflow of that. And we won't be legalistic about it, 
And the trouble was starting on the outside. Here's what happened. Okay, I got my life all simplified here. I'm just murdered on the inside. I hate myself on the inside. It's a conflict on the inside. But I got, it, I, I got, my, I got my stupid simplicity set up there. And what happens is not only do we not connect with God because we're not simplified on the inside, but we begin judging others according to the way we have ordered our outside world. That's a recipe for disaster. It starts on the inside. Just saying, I want to be, be simplified, Lord. I want to be rescued from this complexity. Simplicity is emulating the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a very simplified life, right? He had no house. Jesus had no house. There was a guy who came to follow him, and Jesus said, well, here's the deal. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. That's simple. Imagine your life without the complexity of your house. I realize it creates some other problems. Jesus was intentionally homeless. He had no house. He had no money. He had no money. There was a time when tax collectors came to Jesus and said, you're going to pay your taxes? He said, sure, but I don't have any money. So he says to one of his disciples, he says, go over and catch a fish over there. First fish you catch, look inside its mouth. Our tax money will be in his mouth. (laughs) He did, and it was. That's simple, right? That's simple. No itemized deductions, nothing. Just grab the fish, pay your tax. Simple, done. Jesus had no house. Jesus had no money. Would you tell me how it is that he's an example for the prosperity gospel? Would somebody please tell me how you go from that to God wants to give you riches and wealth? I don't think those dots connect. No house, no money. He only had 12 disciples. That was his, that was his big following. Twelve rabble-rousers. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. You know, the American model for church success is spelled B-I-G. People comparing all the time. Well, how big is your church? You know, I don't even let people count here anymore. I stopped counting a while back. I said, I don't even want to know how many people are here. That's a ridiculous way to measure the success of a church, isn't it? Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 disciples. We've done the math on this before, but let's revisit it real quickly. That if Jesus took three years to make 12 disciples, right? So that if each of those 12 disciples would have taken three more years to each make 12 disciples, that in six years they would have had 144 disciples. You can do this even though you're from the west side. You can do this. You can do this. 12 times 12 is 144. All right? Now, if each of those 144 would have taken three years to each disciple 12 individuals, that in nine years, three plus three plus three, you can do that part, right? You have a lot more disciples. (laughs) That in slightly over 27 years, if you continue that, 
nine generations, nine sets of three years, you reach the current population of the earth. Over six billion people. But what have we done? We've complicated the methodology. You say, let's find us a tall, bold guy that people will listen to. Let's send him to school. Let's pay him a salary. And the more people he or she can draw, well, the better they must be, right? That is not a simple model, is it? It's not even true. Jesus had a simple speech. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He went on to say, anything more is from the devil. Anything more than just saying yes or no is of the devil. Speech is in danger of losing its very meaning in our culture because of the complexity of something called social media, right? You don't even know what people mean when they say the words. Jesus had a simple message. I mean, here he is, this, he's God incarnate. Did he show up in towns and go, I am God incarnate, and here is the blah, 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 what that means. No, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He had a simple prayer. The Pharisees had long, long prayers that they taught their disciples. Jesus' disciples came and said, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, do this. Our Father, which art in heaven, right? And like 37 words later, however many words, he was done. <laughs> Jesus was simple. We're supposed to be following Jesus, right? The first century church was simple. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is the description. This is the mandate. This is the constitution, if you will, of the first century church. Would you like to read it with me? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the whole constitution of the church. That's pretty simple. It was a simple structure. It was a simple mandate, right? Most churches in America have constitutions that are hundreds of times longer than this. What happened? Why can't it be simple? The first time I went through seminary, it took me twice, the first time I went through seminary, in your senior, senior uh, year, your, one of your last semester, one of your classes was called Credo, and you met with the president of the seminary. It was, it was a f- wonderful opportunity. Dr. George Weaver was just one of the most amazing believers I ever knew. And so we would meet with him a couple times a week for the semester, and we, were, we would talk about our personal theology. You know, you're getting ready to go. Probably ought to think about what you believe, right? And so um, we would do that, and then at the end of the, end of the semester, you were supposed to turn in a pretty big project that was a well-substantiated and articulated 
um, theology. And so, you know, people were turning in 35-page papers, 50-page papers, and stuff like that. Because I thought I could probably get away with this with Dr. Weaver, I turned in a 3 by 5 index card that said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Fortunately, my grade point was really high, and so I could, I could bear the hit. <laughs> Why does it have to be any more complicated than that? That's all I know. I know that Jesus loves you. I know he loves me. I know that heaven is real. I know hell is real. I know that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes a difference between the two. I know these things. It's that simple. It's in this simplicity that we prosper in our relationship with God. It's in complexity that we fail. How do I get started, you ask? Number one, tell God that you want to live a simple and single-minded life. Just pray that. God, I, I, just, I want to be rescued from my complexity. I want to live a simple, simple single-minded life. Second, tell Satan you want nothing more to do with his plans to complicate your life with distractions and sin. Just tell him you're done. Tell him to go to hell. Number three, set a simple daily soul care schedule for yourself. You know, I think some people, they just forget how simple the relationship with God is, and they just try to make that initial time with God during the day too complicated. Just dial it down. Just have some time with God. Number four, do one thing at a time as if it's the only thing you have to do. Some of us, we live for lists, right? I do. I make endless lists. That's the way I I remember stuff, right? I forget. But there's a danger in that, in that you're always kind of, you're doing one thing and you're living like two things ahead on the list, right? And you miss what God's doing right in the moment, which brings you to the number five. Always love the one in front of you. Just fully love the person that God puts in front of you. You know, when you all come in and there's lots of you around, sometimes I can see that several want to talk, and that's great, that's wonderful, but i got to give full love to the person that's standing in front of me for as long as they need love. Through that. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. He said you'll either hate the one and love the other, love the one and hate the other. He didn't say you should not. He said you cannot. You are not. And he would know. He's the maker, right? He said you cannot serve two masters. Jesus said we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the key to simplicity. And this is the key to God extending the borders of his grace in our lives. It's what you want this summer. It's about fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Getting your eyes right on him. That's when things get simple, when you get your eyes right on Jesus. I want to show you one more picture. That's obviously a picture of a guy on a motorcycle. He's riding a hairpin curve. What you don't know is that this this picture here is of a guy. This is part of a video that I'm not going to show you because in just a couple of more frames, he has a terrible collision with that Corvette. 
And anybody who knows anything about motorcycles knows this, that you always look where you want to go. I've been, I just, just figured out the math. I started riding motorcycles when I stole my brother's Triumph 500 when I was 12. I'll be 62, so this will be my 50th year riding motorcycles, right? 50 years of riding motorcycles. And I know this. When you're riding a bike, you always look where you want to go. If you get in trouble like this, this guy's coming too fast around that curve, and what he thinks he needs is to get over where that Corvette is in order to make the curve, and so he just keeps staring at the Corvette. The thing about riding a motorcycle and a bicycle, it turns out, is you will go where you're looking. It's the same way with riding a horse. You just point the horse's head where you want to go, and it'll go there. It has to. But this guy, he got focused on that Corvette, and he should have, even though he was destined, it seemed like he was going to run into that vet, he should have been looking over his helmet there in that open space is where he should have been looking. If he would have been looking there, he would have gone there. He would have laid the bike down, yeah, but the highway bars would have kept him up. He would have just got some road rash. It was a very serious injury he sustained by looking at the wrong thing. Is this landing for anybody? The devil has all kinds of things he wants you to look at. Look where you want to go. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to come and declutter our lives. To get those things out of there that really at the end of our lives are not going to make any difference. We're not going to remember how clean our cars were, Lord. We're not going to remember any of it. We're not going to remember if our dishes matched. We're not going to remember any of it. We're not going to remember if we had the newest shoes. We're not going to remember any of it. Would you declutter our lives, Lord, and would you simplify our lives and rescue us from this plague of complexity that has invaded our, our culture? We've got more passwords than we can remember, Lord, and we've been persuaded that that's the important part of life, the thing to worry most about. Would you come in the present ministry of your Holy Spirit and cause us to be lifted up from the clutter and fix our eyes on you, Lord, so that we can see you in that place that we see things. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, will you stand with me, please?